be the pattern, how do we respond to such glorious news of Christ's death and resurrection? The first thing we do is we present our body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. We offer him ourselves. We give him everything. Our, our time, our agenda, our resources, our hands, our feet. He can do with me what he will. And so we present our body and then continually do that. But then we're at the same time, we're renewing our mind through the, through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And I begin to think different and act different and, and respond differently. And it's a, a, a great thing to be consecrated to the Lord in body and mind. And then we, have, we live a life of humility. We have recognized there's nothing we have that we earn or that we deserve. We deserve nothing but punishment, and so we live a life of, of humility. We don't have exaggerated views and opinions of ourselves, but rather we use our spiritual gifts for the building up of the body, and, uh, and we care and, and are concerned about the health and welfare of the body. And then we get, in verse 9, a life of love. Because out of all of that flows loving behaviors, and what are some of these behaviors? Uh, verse 9, I covered some of these this morning. Love without hypocrisy. Don't fake it. Don't pretend. Don't be a stage actor when it comes to love, but be real. Be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Openly express hatred for evil in your life, and of course even in this world. And cling to what is good. Let goodness wrap itself up in you. Let goodness, let you be so closely tied. You know what it says in Acts 10? When Peter is preaching to Cornelius, he, Jewish Peter goes into a Cor, Cornelius' uh, home as a Gentile, and Peter's never done it before, but there's a family and friends gathering. Cornelius has invited them all around, and as Peter's explaining the gospel, he says this in Acts chapter 10. The Lord Jesus, who has no partiality, went about doing good. That's part of the message. Jesus, he just went out. Can you imagine being with Jesus for three years? And everywhere he went, all he did was good. His whole life was committed to doing good and being good. That's the kind of love that we want to have and the, the kind of um, behavior that needs to flow out of our salvation. Verse 10, have this kinship, have this warm family, friend uh, love to one another but do it with a, a brother love, a brother-sister love. And, and you know what I didn't say this morning? And so I'll give you a few extra tidbits because I went home and, of course, I, I realized how inept I am at, at proclaiming God's word because it's so great and, and worthy. But do you know a great example of brother love? It is um, David and Jonathan. Do you agree? The Bible says that um, Jonathan's soul was knit to David's. They were knit together, these two men. But do you know how old they were? David is about 30. Jonathan is 50. And King Saul is 70. So there's about a 20-year age gap. So here's a 50-year-old with a 30-year-old. And their souls are knit together. And I thought, why? What was it? Was it just like a, you kind of hit it off with somebody and others you don't? I don't think so. Do you want to know what I think connected their souls? Like the deepest part of their being? And that's what we need in this church? This kind of connection, it's this. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, um, King Saul and Jonathan are leading the Israeli army against the Philistines. And Jonathan takes his armor bearer, just the two of them. Now, Jonathan has a sword. The armor bearer has the armor. And Jonathan says to his armor bearer, you know what we can do? You and I alone can go against the Philistine city and, and, and conquer it. 
And the armor bearer said, I'll go with you, Jonathan. So Jonathan, this is way before David, right? And, and Goliath. So this is chapter 14. Um, Jonathan, with his armor bearer, goes up this, this ravine and climbs through all these rocks and hides and observes and looks. And he wins a great battle himself against the Philistines. Is that neat? You don't ever hear about Jonathan doing that, but he did it. Then in a few chapters later, David goes out and battles the giant Goliath. And what happens? David wins a great victory. David against the Philistines. Jonathan against the Philistines. And then in chapter 18, it says, Then Jonathan's soul was knit to David's. And he loved him as his own heart, as his own soul and heart. You want to know what I think it was? They both had a common cause, and they, say, they, they saw God's great victory, and they both did the same thing. And doesn't that connect you when you have the same experience? And I bet Jonathan's like, I know how you felt, David. I was there. I was there against all these Philistines. I know how you felt. And David's like, Jonathan, I know how you felt because I was there with giant Goliath. And, and it just tied them together. And do you want to know what ties our church together? Not our football, not our football skills and not our cooking skills and, and not those things. You want to know, we have the same common experience in Christ. We were, we are, and we were wretched sinners in great need of salvation. And, and the Savior has come to us and we have, we have the Savior. We have the thing that connects us the tightest. And so if anything, our hearts should be drawn to one another for that very common experience. We have a common Savior, a common victor over sin, death, and the devil. It's great. Well, I was going to do that this morning, and I didn't get there. Well, let's take a look at the next text. Oh, I talked about not going first, giving preference to others, and we finished with that text right there. Let's pray as we begin uh, verse 11, and we'll see if we can get through verse 11 and, and maybe one little thing in verse 12. Let's try. Father in heaven, we bow before you with gratitude for this chapter. Very practical commands on living out our Christian life. Now that we have been saved and we've experienced your mercies and we've consecrated our life and we're living in humility, exercising our gifts to one another, all of this needs to flow from a heart of love. And we're grateful for these admonitions and exhortations to us. And so we take them and we want to work them out in our lives day by day and be reminded over and over of how we ought to live with one another. So we're grateful for the church, we're grateful for our Savior, and the common experience we have in Christ our Savior. And so just like David and Jonathan, so let our hearts and souls be knit together, caring for one another as brothers and sisters in the heavenly family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here is Romans 12, a new text, verse 11. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, Serving the Lord. Three short things. I think all tied together. He starts out in verse 11, not lagging in diligence, and then fervent in spirit. These are easy things to memorize. Not lagging in diligence. What does that mean? Well, the idea of not lagging is the idea of, it's really easy, not lagging, do not be lazy. Do not be complacent. Do not be apathetic. Literally, do not be lazy. In diligence, when it comes to what you, need, what you need to be diligent about, don't be lazy about it. When it comes to love, don't be lazy in love. When it comes to serving the Lord, speaking, serving, whatever it might be, don't be lazy. Don't lag in diligence. Now, 
you know that we all go through these phases in our Christian life, right? I was saved October 1st, 1993. For me, I was 26 years old, and it was like night and day. Like, I know I was spiritually dead, going to hell, and, and when I put my faith in Jesus, it was like, I get it. My eyes are wide open, and I had this excitement and passion, and I could not wait for Sunday. And then I couldn't wait for Sunday night. And the next time the church gathered and anything I could do to be involved, I was like all in. I thought there's nothing like this. And do you know what people told me? People said to me back then, it'll never last. They're like, it'll never last. You're just going through a phase. And I thought, do I want to go through a phase? And if I, what's that all about? But it's true. We do go through phases. What happens after a period of time of great passion and red hot excitement? we begin to get a little tired of it. A little, it just becomes common. It's just like, I've heard the gospel a thousand times. Um, anything that we do often enough becomes, can be boring, right? When I was a child, you know what I loved? Going to JCPenney's, or Glassblock actually, and riding the elevators. I loved it. My mom would take us, to the mall, if we, if we got to go to the Miller Hill Mall, it was exciting, and I'd be like, Mom, 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 can I go up the escalator? Can I go up the escalator? And I would love to go up the escalator, and then I'd try to, of course, what we all do, we try to go up the down and down the up and stuff like that, and you know what? Um, after a while of doing that, it was no longer exciting, and I never asked to do that again, because I just lost interest in it. And it kind of happens where you just begin to lose interest. Take your Bible and go with me to Hebrews chapter 10 and check this out. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. There's a warning to the Hebrews. There's five warnings in the book of Hebrews. Here's what it is. I'll just give them to you right now. The five are, do not drift. You know if you're fishing in a boat on a lake and you have an anchor down because it's a good fishing spot, you stay there. But if you lift up your anchor and there's just a slight breeze or a slight current, what happens? You begin to drift, but do you notice it? No, you don't notice it right away until you look up and you're like, oh, the dock was over there and now I'm here. So what happens is it's a progression. You begin to pull anchor just a little bit and then you begin to drift and it's not even noticeable. It's a miss of here, miss of there. You don't really, you're not really reading the word. You're doing this, you're doing that. You're praying, but not a lot and you're you're witnessing, but not a lot. And it's just, it's, it's just a safe place to be because you're just drifting and there's no danger in drifting. Well, then Hebrews goes on in chapter 3 about doubt. Because once you drift, you begin to doubt. Hmm, is God really that serious about sin? Is he really that way? I don't know, I begin to doubt. Well, then in Hebrews 5, there's a warning. Don't drift, don't doubt. The next one is don't become dull. Because once you start drifting, and once you begin doubting, then you get dull-hearted. And all of a sudden, sin doesn't really matter. The Word of God doesn't really matter. Witnessing doesn't matter. The church family doesn't matter. Communion doesn't matter. Prayer doesn't matter. And you begin to get dull-hearted. Next, you begin to despise. That's Hebrews 10. You begin to despise God and His Word. Huh. Those Christians, they think they're better. I don't think I need to be a part of that group. And you begin to despise. You begin to think less and less about Christ and his word when at one time you were super hot, ready to go, right? And then the final step is defiance. You defy God. 
I dare you, God. I'll do what I want, when I want, how I want, and I don't care what you say about it. Well, that's the pattern in Hebrews, and here we are in Hebrews 10. Here's the, here's the challenge, verse 32. But recall, the writer says, get this, but recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great st- struggle with sufferings. The writer is saying, go back to when you were first saved, when you were first illuminated. For me, October 1st, 1993. Go back to what it felt like when you're sitting in the hospital bed and you're reading the Bible and you understand salvation and you're like, I'm free! Sin! Sin's penalty is gone. The power is broken and wow, I'm free and I'm free and I love Christ. I love Jesus. I love his word. Recall the former days and you endured a great struggle. Verse 33, partly while you were made a spectacle, people looked at you, they're watching you, uh, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. Because you were living for the Lord, you were identified with other Christians, you were persecuted, you were mocked, and you didn't even care. You Bible thumper. Yeah, you're right, I'm a Bible thumper. I love God's word. I'm, you know, right? That's how you first were saved. You tell, you tell me I'm a Jesus freak or a fanatic? You bet I am. I love him, and I'll give my life for him. But then years later, it's like, uh, I don't want you to know I read my Bible, and I don't want you to think I'm super... A fanatic about Jesus. Um, but this individual, recall the beginning, look at verse 34. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. There was a day when you were first saved and you didn't even care if you lost everything. Big deal. You're free now to serve the Lord and you have an enduring possession in heaven and it didn't even bother you that you lost everything. But years later, it bothers you if you have to give and do this and do that. And the Lord asks so much of me. And he's a taskmaster, makes me go to church and makes me read my Bible. And God makes me pray. And, you know, people go through those phases. I've seen it. I've seen it in 27, 28 years. People that were red hot. Then they become lukewarm. And then they become cold. And um, what, is, what does Romans 12 say? Not lagging in diligence. Not lagging in diligence. Um, Verse 36, look at this. For you have need of endurance. That's what we need. We need endurance. We need to go to the end. You need to commit yourself to serve the Lord until your dying breath. And I've been at many bedsides of, of dying people, and many have said to me, Pastor, if I could do it again, I would do it different. I have regret. And and the the blessing for me as a pastor is I get to hear those things and correct my course now. Because I don't want to be on my deathbed saying, I have regret. I should have kept going. I should have been faithful to the Lord as he has been faithful to me. I should have have gone all the way. Well, not lagging in diligence. The second phrase, not lagging in diligence, but fervent in spirit. It's the idea of being boiling over, of being red hot of like it just boils over and spills into everything and and that's what we need to be fervent in spirit it's part of our life in christ take your bibles you're in in hebrews go to second timothy chapter one do you want to know a person who was losing the fervency of spirit it was young timothy by the way i don't think he was that young but he was young compared to paul but timothy is a man who was timid and 
the difficulty of the Christian life was getting to him, and he was beginning to, to lose fervency and spirit. So, verse 6, Paul needs to remind Timothy, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Stir up the gift of God. That word stir up in the Greek, it's, there's three parts to it. There's a, a Greek prefix and then two Greek roots. And the, the three things are, again, life, fire. Again, life, fire. Rekindle. Bring back to life the fire again is the idea. That's why in the New King James, it's, re, it's, it's to stir up, but it's the idea of to rekindle, to rekindle the fire. Now, I know people that heat with wood. I heat with wood. And what do I have to do on a daily basis to, to keep my fire going? I have to keep adding wood. I, in order to keep the fire lively, I've got to keep adding wood. What happens when I stop adding wood? The fire goes out. So who's the fire in our life? It's the Holy Spirit, right? And how does the Holy Spirit speak to us? Through the Word of God. Remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? They're sad. Jesus has died on the cross and they don't know what to do. Jesus walks on the road with them, speaking the word of God. And after he leaves and they recognize it was him, what do they say? Wasn't our hearts burning inside, firing inside when the Lord spoke to us his word and revealed the truth? See, that's how we do it. It's the Holy Spirit with the word of God that rekindles our life. And if you're beginning to, to lose the fire and the fervency... I think it's because the word of God is no longer vivid and lively in your heart. And if we have that, you want to know, I think, what sustained me all of these years? I, I, I have been in the word of God. And I'm not perfect at it, and, 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 I, and I want to be better. Um, so I'm not saying that I've reached anything. I still have much to attain. But the one thing that I've seen from day one is the word of God is powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, and I cannot get enough of it. And page after page after page, it's like, wow, wow, wow. Um, I, I almost feel like, uh, go, go with me to Jeremiah. Please go with me to Jeremiah chapter 20. You know, we think of Jeremiah, the prophet, maybe we don't know much about him. We know he's the weeping prophet, right? Do you know that there were times that Jeremiah just wanted to quit? He wanted to give up in ministry. It was, oh, he had a hard ministry. Whoa. Difficult ministry. Uh, and, and I can't wait to get into Jeremiah. I've been studying it like crazy. Um, Jeremiah chapter 20. There's a time where Jeremiah actually, he actually says, Lord, I'm done. I quit. And then the Lord had to chasten him. And you'll find this uh, in chapters 12, 14, and even here in 20. And um, the Lord said, Jeremiah, if you return to me, then I will return to you again and give you the power to speak my words once more. Don't quit. If you do repent and come back to me, then I will in turn make your message strong and bold and, and it will be, um, you will be my man for the day. Well, look at Jeremiah 20, verse 7. Oh, Lord, you induced me. And I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. See how Jer Jeremiah is feeling? Um, ministry is hard. And, and he's at the point where 
not lagging in diligence, fervency in spirit, I think I want out again. I think I want out. He's like, everybody mocks me. Verse 8, for when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted, violence and plunder. You know, he did. Jeremiah's running around going, violence and plunder. And what happened? Nothing. So everybody thought he, was, he had lost his marbles. All the false prophets are saying, peace, peace, don't worry. God's going to leave you right here in the land and everything is going to be fine. Jeremiah is telling the true message, violence and plunder. You have so rebelled against God, the Babylonians will come down, snatch you away, and destroy you. And it didn't happen right away. It did happen eventually, but not right away. So people thought, Jeremiah, your word is no good. And Jeremiah's like, did I, do, did I get something wrong? You know, he, he did shout, because of the word of the Lord was made to me. A rep- That's why the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision. Nobody believed because it didn't happen right away. Verse 9, then I said, here's what Jeremiah's response is, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. All right, I'm not going to talk about the Lord. I'm not going to mention his name to anyone. I'm done. I quit again. (laughs) All right, look at the rest. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. Do you ever feel that way? You're so full of the word of God, you're like, I've just got to tell somebody or I'll I'll explode with fire inside. You ever feel that way? You're like, I I saw something so incredible, I've got to tell somebody or or I just, I can't sleep, I can't do anything. And sometimes I'll, I'll be like, Melissa, Melissa, look at this. Have you ever seen this? I've never seen this before. And really, most of what I'm finding right now is in Jeremiah, of all things. I, I love it. Um, it may be, our, may be our winter book. I'm not sure, but, but that's the idea. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit. But listen, all of it has a boundary. Guess what? I could be super excited, boiling over with all sorts of diligence, but if I am not, what's the last phrase? Serving the Lord, then it's all wrong. I can have lots of fire, but not put in the right things. My energy and fire and all of that has to go into serving the Lord. All right? It has to be centered and focused. So that's, that sets the boundaries of the text, right? So where are you spiritually? If you were to talk red hot like you were when you were first saved, um, ice cold because you don't even believe the Lord anymore. And by the way, I, do you know the record, of, record number of evangelical leaders that have written great books about the gospel and about the Christian life, and today they are—they have totally abandoned the gospel, and they say it's all a lie, and they, they don't believe it? I'm talking gospel preachers with big congregations walking away saying, I don't believe it, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. It's happening by, by record numbers, I believe. It's crazy. What, how do you get from red-hot burning passion to that? Well, either you weren't saved in the first place, or you took the Hebrews road of drifting, getting dull, despising, um, and then uh, defiance of God's word and, and truth. Well, we need to be not lazy in spirit, um, in our diligence. We need to be fervent in spirit, and then we need to be serving the Lord. So all that we do is for the benefit of the Lord and his will. And that's a challenge, isn't it? Um, it's, it's a great challenge. In Ephesians chapter 6, everyone who works, everyone works, ultimately, who is your boss? The Lord Jesus Christ. 
Work heartily, not as to men, not for man-pleasing, but to serve the Lord. So all the work we do at all of our careers and our jobs and even in the church is all done for the Lord as master. He is the one that we give account to. And it's a great blessing. And so um, the last thing, and we won't get into it because of our time, but just to give you a little, to whet your appetite, be joyful, rejoicing in hope, right? Romans 12, 12, the first text. And let me just give you a little taste of this one. Let's go back to Romans 12, 12. Listen to this. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. We're going to talk about those three uh, when I come back. But where, you know, where is your hope resting? If my hope is in my car, guess what? Tim, I've got car problems. That, I don't know what's going on. There's noises all over the place. If my hope is in my car, what, what, what has just happened with my car problems? All of my expectations for peace and comfort and safety have crumbled. If my, if my hope is in my house, what could happen tonight? Thieves could come in and steal while I'm here at church. The house could burn. It's, it's already showing maintenance needs every day. You, you see, if my hope is in my house, I have nothing. If my hope, if my hope is in my spouse... Not just in my house, but if my hope is in my spouse, what could happen? She could get a disease and die. She could be killed in an accident. Um, what happens then to my hope? If all my hope is placed in my spouse, I, I, would, be, I would be devastated and, and I, I couldn't go on. Um, but if my hope is in the Lord who gave his life for me, can I find some joy? You bet. Because will the Lord ever leave me? No. Will he ever forsake me? Will he ever turn his back? Will, will he ever not accept me? Will he ever disappoint me? <laughs> Never. So if your hope is in the Lord, you can rejoice. Rejoice. It's, it's a, it's a, and, and again, it doesn't mean your circumstances are pleasant, but you can find joy and rejoice in, in hope. Because there's a future day coming when all of this evil and world will pass away. Like every evil deed and every evil action will be done with and, and cast into the lake of fire, and heaven is perfect. Perfect peace, no sin, no evil. Ah, cannot wait. That's why I can't wait. If, if God takes me tonight, praise God. I am so excited to go to heaven where there's no sin, right? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for our time in Romans. Wow, we have so much to chew on this from the morning and from the evening. And all of these admonitions are easy to understand. They're, they're basic, and yet they are deep. And we need the power of the Spirit. We need conviction, and we need even, according to Philippians 2, you, Father, who gives us both the ability and the desire to accomplish your will, and it pleases you. We need these things regarding this text of Scripture so that we live together as a church family with love and with grace with, toward one another. And so we're grateful to be learning these things and applying them as we continue our journey through this great book of Romans. Bless this church, Father, and all that she does to be a witness to our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen.